0: I'm a and yes, Clive Tilsley is a bellend, but we'll get to that later. This is International League Matters, and also last Friday's Friday show. Joining me is the only man who can call me his wingman, Mr Howard Hockey. Morning, Howard. Good morning. Nice, How are you doing? Nice intro. Yeah, fine, thanks. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um, we're, not, okay, we're not going so, to agree fully on that, by the way. What, on Tilsley being a bellend? Yeah. Well we'll, well we'll get to that. We like to provide balance, don't we, sir? We we do like we do like to provide balance and, and I know that, that you like to be the voice of reason <laughs> when I'm getting overly uh, agitated about anything. But look it's before it's subjective we, so it is. But before we get to that, the serious part of it, obviously, um racism reared its ugly head during last night's England game. What are your thoughts on, I mean, obviously there's going to be a conversation about what can we do, what should be done, yeah. what have UEFA done in the past? How do you feel, like, where, where does, firstly, where does the responsibility lie? Does the responsibility lie with the local governing body? Does it lie with UEFA? Does it lie with the supporters in the stands? Like, what? how do you view this? Well, all of them, to be honest. Uh,
1: yeah, Plenty of thoughts spinning around my head, so apologies for the rambling that is about to ensue. Uh, uh, basically, from Gareth Southgate, uh, Southgate's point of view, uh, you know whatever you think of him as a manager, and obviously he's doing well on that front anyway. I think he's always come across as a class act and a generally nice human being. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm in the same boat as him. I'm a I'm a privileged white man who's not a had to deal with uh racism in my life and I'm not an expert on it like he is and I don't have the answers and it's hard but what he said about education is spot on you know it's not just about let's do punishments it goes a lot deeper than that so that, and that's when you talk about who's responsibility if it it's UEFAs it's the FA of Montenegro it's it's human beings that are in that stadium to react to what happens and not accept it uh so yeah, I don't have the answers. For me it's no pun intended it's not yeah, you know, it's not a black and white issue in in the respect of we racism is, you know, we don't, I don't want to be this little England going, "Oh, these Eastern Europeans and their racism, you know, it's terrible, disgraceful." It's like the dark ages. Because we know every country has a problem with racism and we have it here in the UK. Yeah. I do honestly feel it is more prevalent you know, in Easting, Upping, you see under 21 teams and what they've had to deal with. I'd be absolutely stunned, you know, if you're getting monkey noises in a, a UK uh, stadium. But let's not start, you know, competing about who's worse here. It's a problem, it will always be a problem in all areas of society, everywhere. So let's not come at this as a, you know, other countries need to sort their act out. Because we need to sort our of act out as well. Uh, it's nuanced. I don't know what the solution is. Education, as Southgate says, is vital, while punishing people doesn't make it you can hide it, but it doesn't make it go away they have to be punished. We know UEFA being appalling with this, I think fines don't do anything I mean, 50,000 there 15,000, utterly pointless it says no point whatsoever. Yeah they need to close the stadium and perhaps dock points. Now if you're Andorra, I'm not saying they've ever had any racist problems. Docking points is pointless because they're not going to qualify anyway. So, but Montenegro, you know, have got a chance of qualifying. That would make a statement to them, that to their FA, that they need to be proactive. They're responsible for the people in the stadium. So, we do need stronger, stronger uh, punishments. But we need uh, education as well. And f- hmm. For you know, programs UEFA need to you know they need to be proactive and doing stuff. They might be. We don't know everything that happens. But as I say, the f- English FA they don't even follow UEFA's rulings, which are UEFA's rulings are actually harsher potential punishments than the, than FIFA's. And the FA don't follow any of them. Like stadium closures, we don't do that. But the new ones for me is, you know, so we've got plenty, our FA has got questions to answer. When have we ever closed the stadium? But I don't have the answers because where do you draw the line? If one person is being racist in the stadium, who should suffer for that? Ever, all the other supporters? What if it's two? What if it's three? What if it's ten? What if it's a whole stand like, you know, well, part of a stand like Millwall, that clip Millwall against Everton? It's very hard to say who should suffer and how the punishment should be handed down for me. Mm. But UEFA really has to be a lot more proactive out there and doing stuff about this. I know they've got meetings next week. It's not about racism as such, but I think it could come on. Racism could come under the umbrella of what they're meeting about next week. They really need to step it up. We'll probably talk about. I don't know if we. Well, yeah, Raheem Sterling. We'll talk about him later, no doubt. But you know what he's doing is fronting up to this and turning the mirror. He's turned the mirror on the media already, and if he's turning it on. Yeah, like
0: organisations like UA for an FA, then that can only help. I think he's bringing it to the... He's he's making it part of the public narrative in a way that it previously hasn't been part yeah. of the public narrative, and I think that's really important. Um, I guess from my point of view, if I, if I look at the punishments, I kind of, funnily enough, I look at financial fair play as a pretty good example of how you should be dealing with punishments for racism, right? So it, in the first instance it should be a massive, and really a massive fine. I mean, I think City were find like 10 million quid or something like that for, for financial fair play breaches. The, the governing body of whatever country it is should be given a similar type of fine, which, like the City fine, is suspended. And the idea being that, okay, so you've got this fine and you've got to play your next three fixtures behind closed doors. However... After we uh, open those closed doors and we let your supporters in, if in the next monitoring period you're a racist again, then the suspended fine becomes a fine that you have to pay immediately, and we'll throw you out of the next competition. So Andorra or Montenegro or whoever you are—sorry to Andorans who are listening—who, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why I said Andorra. Then how would you? put Andorra <laughs> on my brain but the, just, the point is I drove through there it's very nice yeah <laughs> the, the point is, is my point is just more that they should be thrown out of the next tournament it's that simple like they, the UEFA should go you won't play in the Euros now and you won't play in the qualifiers and you know if you're already participating then all of the team other teams automatically get a win from your tie and you're out because I think that ultimately there has to be a singular Entity that takes responsibility, and what you can't start doing is playing this game of, well, it's really difficult because you know it was only 10 of them, and we've got like 20,000 people in that stadium, and it's not fair to punish you know 20,000 people for what 10 people do. It's like, well, okay that's why the sliding scale exists the first time round, you get fine and it's suspended and a couple of games behind closed doors but if they do it again if you yourself can't weed this element out if you can't convince your supporters that if they continue to do this they simply won't have games to go and attend kind of on your shoulders then um, so that's that's kind of how i view it but of course you know UEFA are incredible have historically been piss weak when it comes to to racism. I mean, do you remember that that city's fine for coming back yeah. 30 seconds late onto the pitch at Porto was more than Porto got fined for the monkey chants that were directed at Balotelli and some of our other players from the same game. So it shows the attitudes at, at UEFA. Whether or not those attitudes change, whether or not they get harder and firmer in in their punishments we'll we'll have to wait and see but to be honest I don't have heaps of faith because you know you, you refer to me like a lot of these governing bodies they're driven by bottom lines and monies and backhanders and there's very little in the way of real transparent governance uh in the way that you'd expect so yeah I won't be uh I definitely won't be holding my breath on that one what do you think about I mean, my one, suggestion sorry, one
1: person yeah I saw on Twitter's like well I mean, the reason I asked about the numbers or commented on if two Chelsea fans abuse Raheem Sterling at a corner, should that stadium be closed?
0: Definitely. For two people in, in England, we should be harsher. If you, if you, I mean, we have enough cameras and enough microphones at games, yeah. That what happened to Raz should automatically mean Chelsea have to play their next game behind closed doors. And it should be the 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 FA or the Premier League should have exactly the same rule, that we're not going to tolerate this to the extent that we'll remove you from the competition if you cannot clamp down on racism in the standards. Yes.
1: Whilst I, want, I used to think that would be unduly harsh on everyone else, someone did make a good point on Twitter that if people know that the punishments will be severe even draconian, yeah, you know, or just take it even further, you yeah, really harsh. Totally. Then they'll act in the stadium. Totally. Know, we don't want fights breaking out, or but people won't just sit there and put up with this anymore. If they know no one, that it, their team will be affect.
0: it will affect them directly. Absolutely. And it's about, it's about collective responsibility in that sense. And I think that if you do, if you do make the punishments draconian, you force the stadiums into in supporters into taking an amount of collective responsibility and you force the people who indulge in that nonsense to decide whether they want to indulge in that nonsense knowing that the outcome could be that they no longer have games of football to go to. Um, I don't know. I mean, ultimately for me, I think one of the things that I really admire what Gareth Southgate said last night because it's something that is very rarely said when um, white people, white journalists, white people in the media discuss racism and discuss what should be done. I think what people don't realize is, or what those people don't realize is that you don't know what it's like to be Raheem Sterling or Danny Rose or Delhi Ali. You don't know what it's like to, to feel that that stuff is being directed at you and These are young lads and our FA and our people have a responsibility to protect them. And you see, like, I think Sterling speaking out and changing the narrative is so important. And it's so important because it has to begin at home. It has to begin with our own media taking a look at themselves and going, you know, if the players openly discuss the facts... That's the black players in the dressing room are treated different differently than the, the white players. That's a really sad indictment of uh, the kind of footballing media fraternity um, and journalism in Britain in general because you know that's the England team and they represent England around the world and you know it's something that we I don't know, I mean I'm not the most patriotic guy in in the world but at the same time I'm you know I'm proud of being British and I'm you know for what it's worth I I love a lot of what England is and what it has represented for me growing up and I would like to think that the overwhelmingly vast majority of people kind of think like we do that there's just no place for this and that you know There has to be there has to now be some type of action. I mean, it just the contrast between the dog shit that is financial fair play and this is what angers me and it's why I feel as though they should just take all of those punishments, yeah, and just cross out financial fair play and just write racism at the top instead. And that and use those punishments for racism, because that's where you need to focus your energy. It's not on, you know, yeah. it's not on the stuff you do focus on at times. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of where right. I'm at anyway. Um, okay, so we've done that. Now I'd actually like to talk about, oh no, let's do Tilsley first. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll do go Tilsley on. before we get into England because I'll, I'll do all the negative. Off you go. Um, well, I mean, it's the Friday show. It's free to everybody. I'm not going to swear too much, but... I don't understand why during the commentary he felt that he needed to say what he said. I don't think that it comes back to this idea that I feel that had Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard, Wayne Rooney, any of those three players playing for England scored a goal and then done that celebration. Mm. I don't think Mr. Tilsley is going to be saying what he said about, oh, look at him trying to provoke the crowd. So for me, I, I was already perturbed by that comment when I heard it. When I woke up this morning and realised that Mr Tilsley is a, a Liverpool supporter who regularly retweets the Anfield rap. Not there's anything wrong with retweeting the Anfield rap, but just the levels of his kind of support for Liverpool. Well, he writes it, for them. Sorry, he writes for the Anfield rap. Oh, does he? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. Well, yeah, I mean, look. articles for him every week, so, yeah. My, my, my point, therefore, is reinforced, right? Yeah. That he showed something that he shouldn't have shown in that moment, and he should have had a bit more awareness about, even if he didn't hear the things that he says that he didn't hear, and he didn't realize there was any racism going on, he still should have had enough awareness about the narrative about around Raheem yeah. Sterling to not offer as his immediate thought. Raheem Sterling is trying to provoke the crowd. Mm. Understand? Yeah.
1: Okay, I'm not going to disagree with you as much as I thought I'm going to. <laughs> Basically, uh, no. At the point... my my only point in his defence is yeah. At the very yeah, at the very best at that moment, I I. Literally used every swear, you know, as I watched the match and he said that, I used every swear word yeah. in, in the book and some I didn't know existed. <laughs> now, I'm not sitting here just to defend him, but now I look back at it, I don't, I don't, you know, just my only point really is I don't agree with just a, an impulse comment like that was wrong, no doubt about it, but I don't think we should all go in on, you know, to town him just because he made a one comment. You know, when you're doing a 90-minute commentary, I'm sure we can all pick up on stuff. But, at best, it was very, very naive for him not to understand the situation at that point. Now, he's wearing headphones, I assume. So, it's where you are in the stadiums, every chance, I, I believe him, he did not. He was not aware of any racist chanting. So, we, assume, we have to assume that. We have no evidence to suggest otherwise. At that point, Raheem Sterling did, does not do goal celebrations like that. For nothing, and he must know him well enough and have watched enough games of him to know that. And it was very, very naive of him at best to not understand what was happening here. And because other people had been, I'm sure someone would have told him during the match what was going on, yeah, you know, because it had been happening earlier in the match. So it was very, a bit amateurish and uh, naive of him, and you know, not to to comprehend the situation. But yeah, you know, my only point in his defence is. It was a one-off comment, impulse comment, and yeah, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend too much time on it. He clearly must be a Liverpool fan if he writes for the Anfield Wrap, I assume. But I've never really picked up more than anyone else some bias against City players. Ever no, there. but that's but then not I kind of point. zone
0: out commentary, to be honest. So yeah, but that's kind of not my point. My point is more that you know, his yeah, but his bias doesn't have to be about anything he should just be more aware yeah. of the narrative in the world and around Raheem Sterling right now. Mm. That's the first part. And the second part, stick up for your own. Oh yeah. And you're an you're an English commentator yeah. commentating on an English player scoring a goal. So you know have the it's okay to leave your club loyalty at the door, yeah. And just be pleased for Raz, even if you think that he shouldn't have left Liverpool, even if it bugs you that he's doing well. And when we talk about, you know, like you you said you said a couple of times, like, you know, it shouldn't be made a massive deal of. I kind of disagree. I think it should be made a massive deal of, because I think that guys like Clive Tilsley should be aware that Raheem Sterling has spoken up obviously because he has felt victimized for a long time this isn't about just you know the instagram post that he put up a year ago or whenever it was or about what he said after the game or his celebration Hmm. this is about everything that led up to that this is about everything that every black player has to face when they travel abroad or in certain situations or just in daily life and to be a bit more just be a bit more I guess that's my point is for 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 me he has to be a bit more aware in that situation and in that circumstance that Raheem Sterling is a national treasure for many 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 reasons yeah so before you go and harry kane is already treated like a national treasure and i'm not obviously i can't prove it but i'm prepared to bet my life that had harry kane made the exact same celebration i don't think clive's first words would have been he's trying to provoke the crowd Mm. and this is what i mean that that subconscious racism can't be anything else well, I we can't prove that. Can I? You no, might, I can't you po- might be right, but I
1: can't prove that. But um, I mean, my general, more general point is: so what if he wants to ride up the crowd? Why would Clive tells have a problem with that? In it, to give it, you yeah, know, we give it back. We're morons. We're all morons in grounds. We deserve it back. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> yeah, you know, even take the racism out of it. Why? Why can't he cup his ears to a crowd? he
0: can, can rile them up as much as he wants. He's just putting five one up totally and also how do we i mean again like it's the it's the it's the the language that is used like provocative are you serious mate is that provocative yeah. no like there's a lot of stuff that goes on that is really provocative but that's not provocative i mean you know it's not like he's dived in the crowd it's not like he's taken his t-shirt off to reveal another t-shirt that's like you know you, you see what i mean like yeah. it just it's Maybe they were booing him, yeah, and he was just cupping his ears to them because they were booing him, which supporters do up and down the country whenever they score after they get booed. People don't immediately go, ooh, that was provocative. It's just, I don't know. It really really bothered me, and and Clive can go in the bin as far as I'm concerned, (laughs) Howard. I'm sorry, but I just, you know what I'm like with Raz. I'm I'm, I'm over-defensive at the best of times, and... This is just next level. What what, what I heard him saying, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, yeah, we're both very protective of him, as you mm-hmm. well know. So. Okay, let's talk about the fun part, which is England playing football. Which I never thought I'd be saying on a podcast. Um, how good? How much are you enjoying watching England play right now? Yeah, first time in a decade,
1: at least. It just it was just a it was a chore. I mean, I'll watch any football, so when England used to come on, I used to put it on, but, you know, do my own thing, because it would be frustrating. Especially, you know, with the way City players were treated, and they just you knew that do one thing wrong, and it would be honed in on, and everything's over, you know, exaggerated. Uh, but there just seems to be a freedom about the team now at the moment, and, obviously, goals galore, and uh, just more just more interesting to watch less defensive less dour less cautious Uh, yeah just you you want to give them a watch you know international breaks are generally appalling and this isn't the best timed one when we've got serious other matters to deal with you know on the horizon (laughs) but it's actually been in not just England other matches you know it's been a bit more enjoyable than just about any other one I can remember for a while yeah, and it's a bit of a carryover from the summer, but I don't think England were actually that entertaining in the summer. Yeah, most of our goals were from set pieces. We created precious little from open play. But I feel that, you know, it's switched to a 4-3-3 that makes use of a wealth of attacking, pacey, young talent that we've got. Uh, and I think we've progressed again now. Uh kind of wish we'd played that formation in the summer. But, mm. you know, there we go, you know, baby steps and uh yeah, absolutely fun to watch. And it, you yeah, know, this uh keep calling it the League of Nations. Nations League. It's my old history. Grounding, <laughs> can't get the League of Nations out of my head. Uh, it will be actually quite interesting to watch in the summer, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean I think that it's definitely that tournament has definitely helped to uh make friendlies more interesting somehow. Do you think with this did you think with this England side that... Because the, I guess the, the interesting thing for me is that I wanted to... Uh, when I was kind of thinking about the notes for this podcast, I kind of wanted to put forward the idea that, well, I've just got really good players, but then you kind of take a step back and you go, no, hold on, you know, that England team with, you know, young Rooney and Gerard and Lampard and Ferdinand and that generation and as much as, you know... Personally, I may have disliked a lot of those footballers. That was an incredibly talented group of players. And yet, they were never fun to watch in the way that this currently seems to be fun to watch. So I've got a slightly different angle for you to come at it from. Do you think there's something in the idea that this generation are a lot closer than that generation were that they don't have club divides that they bring to the international camps in the way that maybe those previous um, England sides did have because it doesn't feel that there's the you know I have read stories about the Chelsea lot and the Liverpool lot and the United lot during that time and it doesn't really feel like that with with this collection do you think that's playing a big part in all of this? Yeah, probably. I think it was BT. Yeah, you know, Jake
1: Humphrey does a... After they show matches, they do a discussion, don't they? Yeah. And they put the clips on Twitter sometimes or wherever, YouTube. Uh, I didn't watch this particular one, but I think you're right that, you know, people like Lampard and Ferdinand were saying it was the word club lines, even, you know, in those days. and mm-hmm. It wasn't a homogenous group. I think, yeah. It was, yeah, they had the players then. It's true. I mean, they were, hyped. They were overhyped, Yeah and it probably put pressure on them and I think what the summer's done is take the pressure off these players and you've got young players now that just don't have that caution or fear to play You know, play for the country they're just playing with a bit of freedom Yeah. but yeah you don't I don't think you really see any I think you see a really homogeneous group there yeah. I, um, I agree with that I don't think they, they'd be cliquey at all uh, I mean there's always groups within a, a dressing room always will be at City maybe the language to speak at City you know like the Spanish will stick together or whatever Spanish speakers but you still see from the clips that they're not you know they're not separated from each other uh, and this England group yeah there's, and there's just options available as well there's just so many options you know just think uh, we had quite a few players not available for these last two games but it didn't really matter uh, so I think the depth is there with more
0: young players to come through. Definitely. Um, I want to talk a little bit more specifically about the, um, the collection of players that we saw over the course of the, um, of the two games. We'll kind of, I guess we'll just kind of go through the lines, kind of starting with the, um, with the keeper and the, uh, and the back four. What did you actually, what did you make of England defensively over the two games? I mean, they weren't, they were never going to be massively tested. Um, but did you reach any conclusions about any of the players individually or collectively?
1: Uh, not really. As I say, it was. A mis- you know, I'm not sure. This was not, I think, Southgate's strongest 11. Mm. Uh, you know, Declan Rice has come in for one game. You know, he's, he's tried Hudson the die In defence, is Maguire first choice? I don't know. I thought he played quite well, I thought he played very well. Uh, and I don't know it just reminds me of City in a way we just don't (coughs) what they did best I don't think they were tested that much and obviously you look at um, Montenegro's first goal and Keane is Keane ever going to be a real first choice so you know we're we're not talking about the stronger side here and he was at fault for that goal and Hudson-Odoi has to learn he's you know he's 18 obviously of course he's got to learn (laughs) he's got loads to learn and he will do Uh, About tracking back and covering and all that sort of thing, but I think what impressed me most is that the opposition, and obviously, the Czech Republic have had better sides than this. This is, yeah, you think of Mm, some of the great places they've had, and Montenegro are not one of the great sides, but they're not one of the both of them are not the worst sides either. And they remind me of City. That's what all I can say is that we really stifled the chances they had were minimal. I think the Czech Republic had about a 10 minute 5 to 10 minute spell after half time when they got a couple of crosses in and had a bit of danger and that was it Uh, so it's like trying to assess City's defenders hard to say because you know they're dominating and they're not having to do that much pure defending
0: yeah see I think in a way actually it's a good way to assess um I think the City parallel is quite interesting firstly um I, because I think that actually that's how you assess them because obviously Southgate wants his teams to build from the back and play good football, whatever that means. Um, I th- In fact, I'll ask you, so the the fullbacks that we saw, we saw Rose, we saw Chilwell and we saw Walker on the right. How do you think they did? Uh, all about...
1: 7 out of 10 to be honest okay, I don't yeah, think I anyone really put their case forward that obviously Walker's going to be under pressure now because we're very strong in that area yeah uh, what's the Palace player called sorry well,
0: Wan-Bissaka yeah
1: um, Yeah. Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, he's got pressure there and he is he is one of the most criticised England players now you know if you just mm. look at what how people assess him uh, he's not perfect for the England side. Obviously, we've had our own discussions for City. Uh, Chilwell was okay without really doing it. You know, really putting his case forward. And Rose, I thought, was the weakest of the three. I uh, felt he was, you know, just plenty gave away the ball far too much. A bit um uh, Almost cost us a goal uh, last night against Montenegro. But he may have been affected by what was going on in that ground. So you know, and he's not played a huge amount of football either. So I uh, don't think you can't make any conclusions from these players. Uh, you need to see a lot more of them. But none, I don't think any of them cemented their place in that team. I think mm. Walker's is a favourite at South Gates. He's obviously got the most secure uh, place in that team. But he will he will come under threat in the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think
0: I think for the moment Walker's experience is gonna yeah. is gonna trump the uh, the quality that Trent uh, or Wambasaka have. To be honest, I felt Chillwell pro- was probably the standout of of the three. Um, I thought Rose was was quite poor, but as you say, it's difficult to know whether he was affected by what was going on in the stands. Um, I didn't think Walker was great. I have to be honest with you, but then again, you wonder whether he's being affected by by what he's hearing from the stands. Um, what about the centre halves, uh, Maguire and and Keane? Yeah, Maguire stood out for me. Okay,
1: just you the think... covering a lot of the time. I thought, oh my god, he's going in for a tackle. Don't do that. And he won the tackle. Yeah. So he's just he's just more of your old fashioned centre half, Maguire. He looks it yeah. looks like <laughs> you know he's not up to the job, but he always but you know. Then he covers the ground and gets tackling. Uh, he was the standout for me. Keane. Keane's, you know, on a recovery path. Uh, so he's got to be given time. He had a you know terrible first year at Everton. And he's talked about it in public about, you know, he was a very bad place. So, again, one to watch for me, but he was to blame for the first goal. I feel uh a bit sloppy in not stopping that goal against Montenegro. And he was the weakest of the two, but he is, you know, for the foreseeable future, back up anyway.
0: He got the goal, he got the goal, obviously. That
1: was a damn nice header, but I'm not sure Southgate, obviously, I I doubt he picks defenders on scoring goals, but, you know, it should be mentioned he scored a very nice goal. Uh, So, yeah, fair enough, Uh, because it can make all the difference, and it did in the summer, goals like that, you know, from defenders got us Mm. where we were in the summer. Uh, but he is, I think, still a bit down the pecking order King, Maguire is pushing his, his uh, cause, I think.
0: I think so too. I, I, it's difficult because Harry Maguire is one of those players who, you know, he walks that line between yeah. sometimes I think he could play for City and other times I think he could never play for City. Yeah. Um, but he obviously has some quality. Um what about the midfield? I mean, I guess what I want to know from that midfield, the collection of players that they've got there, um, is I guess the the big conversation is around Declan Rice uh, versus Eric Deere or, or Jordan Henderson. What's your, in general, what's your feeling about the balance of that midfield when it's one of Deer, Henderson or Rice with Ali and somebody else, net Barkley, Alley and Barkley next to them. Yeah. Do, does the balance feel right for you? Yeah, it does. It feels a bit more...
1: Well, this is taking something off Liverpool, afield, So, have a workman like midfield, have a pacey attacking front line and get the balls to them. And I think it works quite well. Uh, that's a different argument to how well do, do I think the individual players are because I think Dyer is... A man who lives up to his you know, I've just obviously managers know a lot more than me and Liverpool players will tell you Henderson is, you know, our Gareth Barry in their Gareth Barry in a way. You know, the understated player that you don't see what he does. I don't truly rate Henderson or Dyer. But they were but he's picking players over more exciting players that that fits the system better. And Barclay, mm. you know, I think has just never developed in years and years and years. But He's been up, abs- you know, arguably the best player in the, in the two uh, two qualifiers. So he's, you know, there's no denying he's just he can't get into the. Well, he has played for Chelsea, but he's obviously not an obvious first pick for them, uh, and he's been excellent. So I think the balance is right. I just I'm still not convinced about the individual quality. What do you think? Who do you think's think the, the best?
0: You know, out of those, and I don't think that Deli Ali's position is playing in a midfield three. Uh, I don't think that he... <coughs> excuse me. I don't think he knows how to... He's not a passer at the football for me. And if you're not a passer at the football, you can't be playing in in, in that three. Um, so I like the balance better when it's Henderson, Rice, and Barkley. I thought we looked better um, after Ali went off. Uh as the question of you know who plays at the base, whether it's Rice, whether it's Henderson, or it's uh, or it's Eric Deer, I mean, I'm maybe going to surprise a few in that secretly quite like Jordan Henderson in that sort of very deep role. Um, I, I don't have a problem with it. I think he's got pretty good vision when he plays from deep. I think he can play killer balls. I think when you've got the kind of pace that we've got in in Sterling. Hudson Odoi and, and potentially Sancho as well. I think you need guys who are passers of the football, um, and that's kind of the contrast—the Ali versus Henderson contrast for me. It's right there that Ali isn't making those passes to break the lines and get those runners in, and 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 Henderson definitely is. So until Phil Foden is uh, <laughs> until Phil Foden takes that role, which I think he will do in the next twelve months at some point. Until they get a passer in there, I think that they should play maybe with Henderson Rice and Barkley or Lingard when he's fit, or i don't know I don't know if he's fit or if he's even in the England squad right now, but I think um he has used him centrally as well, but yeah, that's my vibe on the uh yeah, that's, on the that's, sentiment yeah, three. fair enough I mean Henderson is not one that'll let you down, but
1: He's passing can he can spray the ball brilliantly, but he can obviously. I guess that's the nature of if you're going to be ambitious for your passing, are just going to totally. fly, fly out of. Yeah, I think I'm not
0: expecting a bit him spoiled to be spoilt.
1: Laporte's diagonal balls out. Yeah, you know, the way we just <laughs> spray him out to Sarnay and Sterling all the time, uh, we're a bit spoiled in a way. Alia was very good against Czech Republic, I think. But yeah, you do. F- it's where you fit him in I think he's been one of the poorest players for England for years and that's what's annoyed me that mm. he gets away from criticism and it's not a criticism of him because I think it is the system that is I think in the summer Sterling uh, Harry Kane and Ali all had to play a different game that was natural to them for for the team uh, and you know I, I know Kane was like the top scorer but to be honest a lot of the time he was peripheral in games And he Mm. still is. And he was against Montenegro for a lot of the time. I think they're having to make some sacrifices, this team. The the balance isn't absolutely perfect. It doesn't play to every player's strength. Uh, And Ali will will, or is a top-class player, but it's where you put him in that side.
0: I agree. I mean, I think the thing with Ali is that he's probably got that thing that Pep loves about Gundo in in the final third and that he can sniff a goal yeah. inside the box. And he's great at making those third man runs, all that kind of business, which is fine. But Gundo's fantastic passer of the football as well, which means that he can be effective a little bit deeper. And certainly when he gets the football, if he's not making one of those runs, he is involved in the build up in a positive fashion. And I feel as though that's a little bit missing from from Ali's game, but I can see why there is that desire to get him into the team because he does he can make those great third man runs and he can you know he's a massive threat in terms of in terms of scoring goals Um, Okay, interesting what you just said about Harry Kane and the front three because so you don't think that this system is getting the best out of Harry Kane
1: oh no no it's more the summer I felt they make the most yeah I think uh, it gets targeted by defenders obviously so they blocked him off for a while uh, Montenegro Uh, yeah had men on him and just restricted him so but of course by doing that they just freed up space elsewhere so sometimes a player has to take a bullet in a way Yeah, yeah if they're double marked then that allows other players to to, you know surely allow space elsewhere i think it's this suits him better with two wide players because it's what kane has shown me above everything else in last year i've been watching a bit more is he can pass a ball i mean you just have to look
0: at uh, which goal was it? Was it The first goal yeah. uh against uh against the Czechs yeah. where he plays that ball in between the uh the full back and the centre half for Sancho. No, absolutely I mean, yeah. And he
1: drops back and he's he's
0: very good on the ball. You know, it's not just about him
1: shooting from all angles and putting it in the net. He is developing nicely and that, that's that works quite well when he drops deep and also has his lone you know, and just hangs around the goal, so to speak, waiting for his chances. But he can shoot long and short. So no, I think he fits this this four three three a lot better than uh, than what was used in the in the summer.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, the thing that I like uh, the most is that he plays almost like a pure false nine, mm. um, and when you've got the the quality and the pace um, of the wide players that we have. Then having somebody like Harry Kane, who is as big of a goal threat as he is inside the box, but who also is so comfortable dropping deep, receiving the ball, and, and playing those passes, it's. Uh, I think in that final third is where we are world class. Genuinely, yeah. I think if you look at the the the, the options that we have now, that we're, we're a world class side in 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 terms of that front three. Um, and that's what will be, you know, even if we're not, I, I guess that's my kind of a general, my general assessment. I'm jumping ahead a bit, but don't really care. Um, my general assessment is that I, I think that we've got loads of goals in us, this England team yeah. have. And if you've got loads of goals in you, you can get away with being a bit defensively sloppy 99% of the time. Because, you know, I don't think that... I think any of the other big international teams, whether it's Spain, whether it's Germany, even the South Americans, Brazil, Argentina, they're going to be looking at this England side, and they're going to be going, oof! Suddenly, that you know that front three is it forces the opposition to sit deeper because if you give space to Sterling, well, we saw what Sterling did to Spain again. Another warning sign for for all the other international teams out there. I think we've got a, I think we've got an amazing. I think we've got a really fantastic, amazing front three and that's the big, big, big difference for me in terms of England teams uh, the past because I think if you've got loads of goals and you're, you're, you're kind of winning yeah. half the battle. Um, how much of this is down to Southgate, do you think?
1: Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a perfect storm in the way of him plus uh, some generational, possibly generational talent coming through. Uh, it's come together, uh, and you know a lot of what he's done is off the pitch as well as on the pitch. I think being an international manager is a strange beast, to be honest. Uh, you don't have many games. You know, you. I don't know what they do in between games, but uh, it seems yeah, you know, it's strange. It's not a game every week. It's not just about tactics. It's about how you manage players that you only see for a few days and what he's done great he's taken I'll be honest I thought it was one of the most underwhelming appointments when he was appointed I thought this is utterly underwhelming and he's proved me wrong he's shown tactical awareness Uh, he's used his players well he's said the right thing he's managed the group well and he comes across as a class human being who's helped take the pressure off the team and take the criticism away from the team the, the England team has always been utterly bogged down by the pressure put on it by the country as well, by the media especially, and I think one of his best things is he's allowed his players to play with freedom and made them feel happy to put, represent the country, yeah, uh, but he couldn't have done it without some really exciting talent coming through yeah uh, no, so absolutely I, I think it's you know both and you think you know I don't know where someone like Rashford will end up talent wise you know he still confuses me somewhat match by match, maybe because he'd been playing under Mourinho for two years. Uh, but, you know, he, wasn't, he was not another option to go up front, and then that's another way terrorising the defence. And, you know, as you say, players like Foden coming through and Hudson-Odoi, Doyes. is he? Is he still 18? And you, you look at the options there. So it's certainly good timing for him uh, to take this team on in the next couple of years. Where yeah. do you think it lies with him?
0: Well... I think that the, so I'm completely with you uh in that when he was appointed i was I was really underwhelmed, and actually one of the reasons I was really underwhelmed was because um I'd spoken to a coach who had some experience of working with Southgate and he- fa- and it, granted it was some years ago right like when I say some years ago it was like four or five years ago something like that, but he said that he was a really at the time a very basic Football coach yeah. um, and wasn't particularly progressive in anything that he did. So, for me, the kind of combination of how, in a way, underwhelming he seemed as a character or as a personality, along with this idea that maybe from a footballing point of view, wasn't going to be very progressive, I was really worried about what was going to happen because I felt like England had loads of really good young players. Um, so and I think so for that reason, he deserves an enormous amount of credit because there has been a tactical evolution under Southgate in a very short space of time. I can't remember the last time I said that about an England team. And you know what else? When you look at the kind of... the, the I feel as though the the evolution has been natural and I feel as though it's been done with common sense and I feel as though it's... Everything that has been done from a footballing point of view has been done right and been done well and I've seen people say well if he'd have played 4-3-3 at the World Cup maybe it would have been different if he'd have taken this player to the World Cup maybe it would have been different it doesn't matter I think that the, the group needed to evolve and build belief and build some type of momentum and the first step to doing that was to be um secure at the World Cup to not be easy to beat and we weren't easy to beat um, and I think that he's built on that and he's built on that in the right way and England have become more and more progressive under him so I think he deserves a, a massive amount of credit I think it's one thing to inherit um, top players but I think it's another thing entirely To get them to work as a unit, to get them to work as a collective, to get them to work as a team, and to get the best out of your best players. And I think on all those fronts, for the moment, uh, I feel that Southgate is definitely succeeding.
1: And if you look at, you know, Peps obviously helps Raheem Sterling develop as a player. But I think you'll be very happy to have someone like Southgate, you know, as his national manager as well. Absolutely. Just, there was one, you know, just watch, just homing on Sterling now during the match and he wants the ball. And he's even dropping deep as well in the middle and he's saying, pass it to me, pass it to me. He's getting frustrated when he doesn't get it. That wasn't the Sterling of in an England shirt two years ago, or perhaps even
0: one year ago. I think the play, all of the play, you put in the agenda, do you see the pep effect in this team? And yeah, I do, because I think that all of the players are will learn from each other and the forwards will learn from each other and I think Sterling has learnt so much from Guardiola so many little things that he'll be able to to pass on to his teammates or that his that his teammates will pick up on Mm. so I think there's a um, what's the word what's the phrase I'm looking for a virtuous circle so there's a virtuous circle going on right now between and I don't want to just credit Pep I think Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp and Maurizio Pochettino, uh, certainly those three guys and the players that they're coaching who then go to play for England. I think that their their effects of the coaching that they get at club level will be seen uh, at international level. And I think that's, that's definitely a good thing. And I think that for those effects to be seen at international level, it's about Gareth Southgate embracing what those managers are doing at club level, what those players are achieving at club level. And then, you know, basically getting them to reproduce that at international uh, for the national team. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, it's it's all good for the moment. Um, what about Raz? You know, we've not really talked about him specifically yet. Um, is he... So I'm going to ask you a question, which I don't know if anybody's... I, I'm sure that if I go looking on Twitter, somebody will have posited this question already, <laughs> right? But is Sterling getting close to being England captain material? That's my first question.
1: Ooh. Uh well. I didn't know this but England have a, a senior players group, don't they? And he's been he's been promoted to that apparently. I just, oh really? Yeah, I've not read it up to much. I just saw him passing when, you know, after the 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 check match. Uh that he's become he's come of age in a way, so he's part of the senior group now. Yeah. You know, this is a a man that can still win the young player of the year this season, which is a bit ridiculous because <laughs> young player of the year for me should be 21s and under not someone who's 23 when the season starts Uh, so you know it just shows he's been around for a while just shows how much of his career he should have left Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah I feel he's come of age Uh, Captain Material don't know I don't know how Southgate decides on that obviously how do you decide on it, Howard? I, I'm not sure it's that important, to be honest. I think I think you should have. Your
0: Symbolically, learning. is it important? It, to sim- make it means do. a
1: lot to certain players, and I think that's how it should be used. Uh, I mean, he got it off David Silva for City last week, and I, yeah. I think you know that meant a lot to him. So I think it's about a manager. I mean, you know, if someone like Vincent Kompany is on the pitch; it's a bit of a no-brainer in a way. Uh, of course, but I think you should have multiple. It capt- shouldn't shouldn't need an armband on you know on you to spark out orders or organize or do things like that uh maybe just organizing how you deal with the match officials and stuff like that and keeping things in check but in the I, you know other countries certainly don't think it's as important as we have historically in this country i think it should be used as a reward or as a, a show of appreciation uh obviously many city players have had it down the last few
0: years, and I think that's how it is used I think with uh, I think with sterling he has shown um leadership qualities on the pitch in the qualifiers uh, certainly in the last two games he's shown leadership qualities on the pitch I think it's pretty obvious the leadership qualities that he's got off the pitch there are a lot of black players in England involved in the England setup at all age groups sterling is an incredible example mm. for all of them and beyond that he's an example for all footballers you know his kind of the way that he has applied himself not just now but throughout his career or certainly the the overwhelmingly vast majority of of his career is something to be applauded. And I think that, you know, I I like the fact that you put redemption in, (laughs) uh, in, in quotation marks. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, some of us have known this about Sterling for a long time. Some of us have been talking about the mental strength and the character of this guy for a long time. And, you know, now that the focus isn't on him leaving Liverpool. Yeah. Now that the focus can be shifted Elsewhere, I think other people are beginning to appreciate the the character and the the qualities that that he has, not just as a footballer, but but as a man as well. Because I think, you know, from a footballing point of view, do you see? In fact, I want to ask you this: Do you see more of the um, City Raz at England level now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. As I say, it just seems part of the senior squad rather than nervous young. Boy, yeah under pressure yeah
0: do you think that when you look at I felt there was a question mark over uh, I I felt at a certain moment that Southgate was trying to choose between Sterling and and Rashford Mm. that it would be one of the two Um, do you think Sterling is now in, in has elevated himself to the to the point where there's just absolutely no question that he's in England's best 11 yeah Okay, very good. Cool. Close. Close. It's one of two or three that is straight down on the team sheet. Mm. Um, listen, I want to, uh, I, I want to push forward because I'm, I'm a little bit conscious of time. We've been talking for quite a bit already. Um, what did you make of, what did you make of Hudson O'Doy? Did you like him?
1: Yeah, uh, he was actually erratic, but he's 18 years old. So totally. I don't expect him to be bossing the game. Uh, he shifted to the left, and obviously, I did like. I mean. It just shows that like, they didn't want to say bad stuff about him and the commentary, and I'm fine with that because he, shouldn't totally. be, he should be giving an 18-year-old a bit of uh, leeway when he's coming to a national side when he can't even get into his club side because <laughs> he's a stubborn manager. Uh, and it's, yeah, It's ex- just exciting. He's fun to watch. I did like, yeah, his, uh, it was a shot going wide that uh, Barkley put in, but of course it's, you know, he'd got into that position and got a shot and goal. Uh, another one that forced a great save from the keeper in the second half absolutely just a great yeah really good talent breaking through there yeah he, absolutely he, how he's not getting more game time yeah I guess I'll say the same about Foden it's up to him where it, yeah how he deals with this if he feels he's going to be restricted for Chelsea for years but if not I'd be patient because he surely by next season will be a fixture in that Chelsea's first team whoever yeah. You know, Transfer
0: ban or no transfer ban? Yeah, yeah. I think. What so. did you think of him then? I love him. Yeah, really. I just he's really exciting player to watch. One of those, you know, I don't know. Like we're blessed to have the the, the attacking talent that we've got at, at national team level. And yeah, no, I just I, I think he's a top player. To be honest, I can kind of see why he can't get in the Chelsea side because I, d- I don't think you can do the 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 for all the obvious talent that he's got um, and this isn't a criticism of him it's just you know he, he will develop and he will mature and he'll make better decisions but some of the passing some I mean he, he passed it across the halfway line at one point directly to a Montenegro player and yeah. it's stuff like that in the Premier League is going to cost you goals and I can if he does that in training you can completely understand why a manager like Sarri who's you know Chelsea future is on the line is picking Pedro ahead of him um, but but at the same time incredible talent and just really good to to see that kind of talent get into getting into the England team um yeah okay yeah. i think i think that that covers Hudson odoi have i missed out any debutants have i missed out anybody yeah. who um you feel deserves a mention who caught your or who caught your eye across these games uh, i may have forgotten someone but what did you think of Declan Rice anyway Again, I like him. I think that, uh, I think he's maybe a bit slow.
1: Hmm. Uh,
0: I'm not sure that he's quite got the, um, got the dynamism that I thought he had, but his passing, he's got, he's brave in his passing, which I really like. He's very, um, He's like an uber modern player in the sense that you I don't know if you noticed but for a for a for a lad who's meant to be at the base of midfield he's very comfortable coming forward with the ball moving into advanced positions passing into advanced positions when you know when the ball breaks down because there's a free kick you see he's got that mentality of get the game moving again and play the passes short it's just there's something very you know very modern about the way that he plays but at the same time he's a kind of there's a a, a, a kind of tenacity to him that's very British or very Argentinian I don't know like I'm just randomly applying you know characteristics to nationalities Mm. here Um, so I apologize if I've offended anyone but I like him I I really like him Uh, I did think because I was thinking about the Ferner position it's probably a year too early for Declan Rice I don't think that I wouldn't do that if I was in City's shoes. I mean, I'd sign him if I could, but I, I wouldn't be signing him with a view to him, you know, playing more yeah. games than Ferner next season because again, he gave the ball away two or three times uh where he didn't really need to give the ball away. And it wasn't really difficult. I mean, it's you know, if you're playing difficult through balls and you give it away, it's one thing, but you know, the, the simpler passes, yeah. I think that's a big no-no for Pep. Well, I don't think this is the game I'd touch him on, to be honest. You no, know, totally not, And I'm not trying full, to... Well, I've seen the first time. Uh, yeah. So. I, I'm not trying to judge him. Yeah. I'm really not trying to judge him. I, I I really rate him a lot. It's just more, you know, the standards at City are a, a, an exceptionally, exceptionally high level and it's rare that you'll find an 18, 19, 20 year old that you look at and you immediately go, yeah, he could step into our first team and yeah. be in the best 11 and do it week in, week out. It's a, it's a really, really big ask. Um, okay. Super. Can we talk about city for a minute? Yeah. Wonderful. So if you want, you know, I love to talk about city and I've not done it for a while. Um, hey, I believe that the injuries are, are clearing up. Mendy trained, KDB trained, Ferner trained. Um, how are you feeling, Howard? Obviously, the uh, the league season remo- re- resumes this weekend. Next week is another busy week. Fulham away, Cardiff at home, Wembley for the semi-final against Brighton. Whew. So, Just your average your, week. Yeah, just your average week. Um, what's your general feeling before I get into the specifics of a couple of things I want to ask you about?
1: I, I, I didn't have any until this moment. I've Ooh. used the international break to to stop stressing about City and thinking about what could or could not happen. Uh, but come Thursday, yeah, I'll be thinking about that Fulham match again. Uh, st- yeah, it's good. I mean, I don't... I, the players coming back, I, I'm not sure how much they'll feature, might be on the bench more than anything, with mm-hmm. a, a look of easing them in with with you know Viacardi from Brighton. Uh, but it's good to know... Uh, there's still some some games tonight isn't there I don't know if we've got any players left Jesus was on the bench the last time I looked against Panama and I think I think Russia uh, Russia, Brazil got another game otherwise uh, I think we may be done with our players so not heard of anything Sane obviously escaped an absolutely disgusting tackle thank God Oh, so, it was horrible, that challenge. so we seem to have come through it pretty much from what I've heard uh, you know without any any further injuries so that's brilliant with players coming back and with the schedule we've got going into April uh, yeah all systems go
0: and okay. the nerves can okay. start all over again um, so specifically now uh, I'm kind of looking at this final stretch and I'm wondering to myself, I'm I am i i maybe affected by the fact that have you watched um Take the Ball, Past the Ball? No, not yet, no. Okay, so I watched it for the second time um What's it the on? other day. It's on I think it, on England in England it's on Amazon Prime. No. I bought it on no. on right. on iTunes. Because uh, it was only like four quid or something like that. But it maybe I'm a little bit affected by that. But I'm beginning to wonder, do you think Pep is privately using the fact that we could potentially win tro- four trophies as serious motivation oh I don't know
1: thank you for. I don't know if you want to motivate players by mentioning that or
0: he did it tro- with the Ultra points try and,
1: forget, try and forget that that's on I don't know Why? do you think he is definitely I just think it's best for the players if they don't think about that
0: I don't agree. You know, I think that what they need is they need to feel special and they need to feel like what they're going to do is special. And I think that Guardiola is all about, you know, he sees himself as special and he sees his teams as special. And, you know, I I think that there is something within that where I I kind of look at this final stretch. And what I was trying to analyze is who's got the advantage going into this final stretch? Like psychologically, where does the where does the advantage lie? And I mean, I always think we've got the advantage because I think Pep's better than everybody else. But actually, I think the fact that we're in four to- tournaments and we've got Pep is an advantage for us because I think there is, it can be used as motivation. And actually, the reality is that, you know, what what we're asking here is for the players to beat Brighton, right? And if they okay. beat Brighton, then they're in another cup final and you feel like, okay, that's that put to bed I think that there's a, a a sense then if they can, you know, again, it's like you beat, what are your games? You've got Fulham and Cardiff, two teams that are, you know, expected to go down. Yeah. You beat those two and you beat Brighton. How many league games are left then? Six? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay, so after that, you've got to play six league games and a cup final, and there's your treble. That's right, and to focus you saying six games left do, do, you see what I mean yeah. like it's I think absolutely not. I, I think that this in, in this international break will be the first time that Guardiola will be going listen four trophies is entirely doable hmm. and you lot can do it because you're a special group of players and this is a special squad and again you know the analysts will be putting those fixtures up on the boards and they'll be going look you know we focus on Fulham and then we focus on Cardiff we get through those two and then we focus on Brighton yeah. we get the other side of that hill and it's a little mini hill but you get to the other side of it and you're in a really you've put yourself in a really incredible position to to get even closer to that to those to those four trophies so i thought maybe the international break would dampen my Positivity, that the the crazy positivity that I had before the international break, but it actually hasn't. And I think there is an element of 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 players coming back that is doing that. Seeing the injuries clearing up, the lads who went away on international duty seemingly carrying on their great city form into uh, into the international duty. It just it feels like a a a very. It feels like the end of this season and what's going to happen next is something that we should really embrace Mm. and enjoy and you know I'll try (laughs) (laughs) you will do man I really think you will do (laughs) if you say so you will I mean there's no greater feeling than Winning a game that you were nervous about yeah. before it starts, and the reality is that going into every single fixture from here until the end of the season, there's going to be tons of nerves for all of us because, as I say, it's that sharp, laser sharp focus of there's there's very few games left. Mm. You know, there's very little margin for error. It's money time for everybody on everything now. And um, as I say, you look at the fitness of the squad. Suddenly, everybody's getting fit again. The form is good. We're still in four tournaments. I don't know. I'm. I'm. I'm definitely ready for this. I mean, we'll take a we'll take a more more forensic look at Fulham because I don't think that it'll be the cakewalk that no. people think it's going to be. We'll take a forensic look at that on the Real Friday Show on Friday. But you know, we we've still got it within us to to uh, um, get over that hump, even if they are, I think, better than they were under Ranieri or maybe even under Ikanovic as well um, just what final thought from you of the returning players who were injured who do you think is going to have the biggest impact on the side Oof. all of them
1: <laughs> I mean who's, well, who's been out I mean it's Fernandinho Fernandinho, Mendy KDB Stones KDB I think Mendy will have the least because I still don't think he's going to be a regular I think it's just eased in, hope he stays fit type situation, could play a part at some point of course but KDB, it's just been such a out of the year season, you know, it's kind of been lost, he's probably the one who could make the biggest difference then, yep. because Gundogan Yeah, because I- KDB has obviously done a more than capable job for Fernandinho uh, even though we're all desperate to see Fernandinho back because he's Fernandinho and Stones obviously has been yeah, it's not always been a regular. It's not been in every week, and we we can survive. You know, we, we've got by a lot, and we've got by without Kevin De Bruyne, of course. But that would be great if he could come back now and really turn this. You know, just get rid of all the frustrations of the last six months and have a huge effect on what's left in this season.
0: Mm, I agree. I, I I would go. Although in terms of what happens next, I think that um, I I think that it's Mendy who potentially has the biggest impact. I think that for as much as they've wrapped him in cotton wool, they're going to test his knee now. I don't think, I think it's, I think it's unlikely that he sits on the bench for much longer. Mm. They've got to try it out and just see if it works or not, because they have to make decisions about what they're going to do in the summer. Um, And yeah, the conversation is really different if Mendy manages to get through, you know, between now and the end of the season, Mendy plays five games it's a completely different conversation than if he plays one game or two yeah. games um, and I think they've just got to try it sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah. If it's, it wouldn't, but since has been so reliable that they've also picked the side that he wants to get a result but I think if we're looking at a game I think Cardiff at home would be
0: yeah. the standout for me for Bang Andy to, to start. That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I feel with... Uh, I feel with most of the injured lads. I think it's going to be a case of looking at that Cardiff game and going, all right, maybe KDB gets time at Fulham, but Mendy, Stones would expect those two to uh to come back for the uh for the Cardiff game um in preparation for yeah. the uh for the semi-final. Uh, but yeah, I'm the, the I'm the most uh, I'm I feel that Mendy has the biggest impact if he comes back of all of them. Um, because he's been out for the longest and also because as brilliant as Sinchenko has been, I think Mendy brings next level to our left-hand side and the combination of Mendy and and Raz on the left could potentially be devastating on a whole other level. And again, it's that thing of like, you know, it is a level up for me. When Mendy comes in, the side is a level better and maybe that level is the difference between getting to the semi-final or getting to the final of the Champions League. So I would really like to... uh, a lot of this is hope rather than expectation Howard I've got to be honest with you but I got my hands together for Benjamin Mendy Uh, right on that note I am wrapping this up Um, Mr Howard Hocken thank you very much Uh, pleasure as always to everybody who listened thank you very much this was our very much delayed Friday show from last Friday Um, we'll be back with more podcasts later this week we've definitely got more podcasts later this week including another Friday show on Friday As always, be safe, be well, and up the blues.